Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Michaela. And this is Drink the Movies. A podcast where each week we try to recreate a classic movie drink and discuss the movie that inspired it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the movies. Hey everyone, welcome to episode four of Drink the Movies. I'm Brian, here as always with Michaela. Michaela, how are we doing this week? Y'all ready for Christmas? We are ready for Christmas. We are counting down the days. We're very close. That's right. It's coming right up. Uh, just a couple more days. Uh, do you have everything all wrapped, ready to go? All of your, all the gifts bought and everything? Absolutely not. No? Okay. Absolutely not. You, you are running out of time, I will say. I, I am. I absolutely uh, am uh, freaking out a little bit. Any procrastinators uh, in your lives, uh, you should call them. Their house is a mess and they have <laughs> a room full of stuff that they have to wrap that they have not wrapped right. yet. And they are not okay. So check out, check out, you know, check on the procrastinator in your life. Um, that is definitely me. I, I've, d- I've made good progress considering we can't go anywhere or do anything that's, this Christmas. That's true. Yeah. Right? So I've done pretty well. I have a few things left to do, but I'm by no means finished. And, you know, it is just on the cusp of Christmas Eve here. So yep. it is too late to do this like next day, two day Amazon ordering you know, yeah, feast. I think you're out of time for that. Yeah. You know, yeah. You you're either gonna go out and, you know, buy something that is now a dollar at, you know, Target, or you're just not gonna mm-hmm. get anybody gifts. So yep. um it, it's it's always right in there where I get most anxious and I just need to finish uh and then be done with it and say this is what everyone's getting this year. It is so. what it is what it is now. That's okay. Santa usually has a way to uh to get this stuff done. So that's right. They, somehow it all, it's part of the magic, part of the magic of the season. That, that's right. You know, it's almost Christmas time, so I could definitely uh, go for a drink. So what do you think we should drink tonight? You know, it's cold and uh, I'm trying to get my angel wings. So how okay. can we make up a batch of a flaming rum punch? Oh, okay. Yeah. Flaming rum punch. That is the uh, perfect drink for an angel second class. Uh, why don't we take a quick break and we'll go make up a big batch of flaming rum punch and we'll be right back. That sounds awesome. All right, so today we're going to make uh, Flaming Rum Punch, and if you look online, there's a bunch of different um, recipes out there. Um, a lot of them are, you know, pretty similar, kind of hit the same notes. You'll see most some of them that are all all rum. Some are like a mixture of rum and cognac or rum and whiskey, uh, but the recipe we picked comes from a book called Cocktails of the Movies, and it's by Will Francis and Stacey Marsh. Um, we'll have a kind of a link to uh, their website on our website and the show notes there, um, but Michaela, uh, you got all the ingredients together for this one. So why don't you run through the recipe for everybody? Sure. Um, you're going to start off with six oranges studded with cloves. It's about a half a cup. Okay. You're going to do half a bottle of rum. Yep. We used Queen Charlotte's Reserve by Muddy Water, Mud, sorry, Muddy River Distilling. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's right. Half a bottle of cognac. Yep. And for that one, we used uh, Martel uh, VS. Yep. Half a cup of sugar. Mm-hmm. two pinches of cinnamon, two pinches of nutmeg. And then you're going to have 20 ounces of warm apple cider, mm-hmm. okay? Okay. Uh, 16 ounces of hot water. It should not be boiling, just really warm. Yep. Just warmed okay. up. Mm-hmm. And then 12 ounces of orange juice and six ounces of lemon juice. That's right. Yeah. And so uh, when we were making it, uh, you had six oranges, you had three kind of bigger ones and three, uh, three smaller ones, but yeah, just kind of stick the cloves in there. It kind of, you know, it makes like a little, you know, spike orange ball looking thing. And you just uh, stick that in the oven for about 30 minutes. 
They kind of right. soften up a little bit. Um, yeah, we stuck it in at like 350 and yep. it really um, got kind of all the oils out of the oranges and mm -hmm. it filled the house. The house smelled like Christmas. It was amazing. Yeah, it smelled great. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really lovely. And the the whole uh, inserting the cloves, I would say there's, you know, it's a process. So you definitely want to take some time. You you can do that like the day before. So do it, right, sure. If you don't want to spend a lot of time like the, the day of putting or, this together. Or if you're having a party, you can just uh, hand everyone an orange and tell them to, uh, to help you out. Well, I think that is a great idea. <laughs> oh, no parties this year, but. No, none, none this year. But they did look like little COVID balls, right? They, they absolutely did, <laughs> because yeah. Because of the cloves sticking out. They looked like, uh, it was really pretty. It was actually really pretty. Mm -hmm. First time yeah. I ever stuck cloves in oranges, I was in I was in grade school. So, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so it was, it was really, it was very nostalgic for me. So, so you've been training for this your whole life. You know it. So, yeah, so uh, you just stick those oranges in the oven. You bake them for about 30 minutes. Um, they kind of soften just a little bit. Um, and in your punch bowl, you're going to go ahead and you put the sugar and then the rum and the cognac in there and kind of, you know, stir it up to dissolve the sugar. Um, and then you put the oranges in on top. And then if you want to, uh, this is an optional step. And if you're going to do it, make sure you're very safe. You have your fire extinguisher around. You have, you know, lots of space overhead, but you can uh, set the, uh, the alcohol on fire and it just kind of makes a nice little flame uh, there on top of it. And while that's going, you sprinkle in the spices and they make little... Uh, Kind of sparks, uh, I guess. Kind of looks like a like a campfire yeah. sparking almost. Um, it's really cool. So if you go to our website, um, you'll be able to check out the video, and you can kind of see us uh, doing that with ours there. Yeah, and if you're going to use a punch bowl, I mean, one of the things that we learned was you definitely want enough surface area in the punch bowl. You want the punch mm -hmm. bowl to be large enough so that none of the oranges are sticking out or they're not sticking out um, of the liquid very much. Um, and that's why you probably want to look at some different sizes and not have like six ginormous oranges right um, yep and it also i think adds a different flavor if you use like the little clementine oranges versus the big navel oranges that might add mm -hmm. a, a slightly different sweetness in the flavor but it is really beautiful when it sets on fire and you have the kind of the sparks um but it adds a toasted note to the cinnamon and the nutmeg um mm -hmm. which is pretty subtle but it was there and it was nice yeah, it's, it's, yeah, really cool. Um, really neat if you're doing a, you know, winter party, if you're, especially if you could be like outside or something, you have, have this thing going, it'd, it'd look really cool um, at nighttime. So, um, so after you light it on fire, you're just going to pour in the, uh, the orange juice, the lemon juice, the cider, and then the, the hot water, you just kind of pour that in slowly, the flame is going to go out and then it's ready to serve. So you just ladle it into some heat proof mugs and you're good to go. And uh, what do you think about this one, Michaela? Have you ever have you ever had flaming rum punch before? Is this new? I had never had flaming rum punch, and apparently, like punch is a it's usually only five ingredients. There's a classic mm. way to make punch. I learned so much in kind of this whole exercise because I had never uh, done any of that before. Right. So mm -hmm. I thought it was really interesting. The recipe looked a, like it was going to be very acidic because of all the lemon and the orange. Right. Yep. And we, I want to be clear, we didn't use anything special. We got store-bought store orange juice and lemon juice. We did not do mm -hmm. that fresh ourselves. Um, nope. So this was actually really quick to put together aside yeah. from the baking of the oranges it did not take very long at all and it was amazing yeah it's it's delicious I, I like I like it a lot and we actually because it made a big 
a big batch of it. We were worried about it because it was, um, you know, just us having it. So we uh, put the rest of it into some mason jars and kept it and it reheats really good. So if you wanted to, you know, make up a batch of this and, you know, portion it out for your, you know, yourself or a couple of people over, over a week or so, that would, that's a really good idea too. So. Yeah, I think for on, honestly, I think this is going to be my Christmas Eve drink because I okay. just kept going on. If you'll remember, I was like, "This is so good." Mm-hmm. It just it's it's everything that is adult Christmassy, right? It's not super sweet, but it's very flavorful. Um, so you can drink a lot of it if you want. Yeah, it's- and um, it's warm and it's cold outside, and it just it was it really really lovely drink, really well balanced. I mean. And it's, and it's pretty boozy. I mean, it's got a full bottle of booze, right? Half a bottle oh, yeah. of yep. the cognac and half a bottle of the rum. So it, it's, it's, it packs a punch, even though it is a punch. It's that's right. Well, really if, lovely. If you're uh, pulling yourself out of the river, you need something like that to warm you up for sure. So that's right. All right. Uh, well, uh, why don't we take a quick break? We've got our punch made. Um, we'll come back and we're going to talk about It's a Wonderful Life. So stick around. Stick around. Spoiler warning for It's a Wonderful Life. Go make a punch, or if you're in a hurry, a double bourbon. Watch It's a Wonderful Life, and then come back, and we can chat about it. Um, It's a Wonderful Life. It came out in 1946, um, and it stars Jimmy Stewart and uh, young Donna Reed, I think, in uh, her first role or one of her first kind of movie roles. Um, And it was directed by Frank Frank Capra, one of the, you know, kind of icons of uh, cinema. If you ask uh, Frank Capra what the favorite film of his, uh, it was this one. Um, and Donna Reed and Jimmy Stewart uh, both said that this was the, you know, kind of the favorite project that they worked on as well. So I think it says a lot because both of them, well, all three of them made a lot of different types of films. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they, it must have been amazing on set, right? Because uh, they said that they, all of them have unanimously said that was their, that was their favorite film to have made. You know, they did a lot of different projects. They, you know, a lot of classics. Uh, Jimmy Stewart, I think, was nominated for like five Academy Awards, different things. Um, before he finally uh, won just a Lifetime Achievement Award was the only one he ever uh, won of all of the nominations. Yeah. Um, but so he was uh, nominated for Best Actor in this one. And this film was nominated for a total of five Academy Awards. So it was nominated for Best Picture, um, uh, Best Actor, Jimmy Stewart, uh, Best Director for Frank Capra, Best Sound Recording and Best Editing. Um, Frank, Frank Capra did win the Golden Globe for Best Director, um, but he did not win the Oscar that year. So. So this is definitely kind of a classic. I don't think it was originally supposed to, intended to be a Christmas film. So it's kind of interesting how it how it turned into one. So yeah, yeah, it all kind of just happens on Christmas Eve. I think that's the, the really nice backdrop, right? So the story begins um, with the credits actually being on um, book pages, mm-hmm. yep, which I really like. Um, and it depends. There's two different. I mean, obviously now there's two different versions. It was originally done in black and white, and then it was colorized. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's really neat. If you do see the color version, it is uh, really beautiful. All of the okay drawings and, and around kind of the cast and and right. the, the credits. Um, it's really pretty. Okay, I've never watched the the colorized version. Uh, we do have it. It's uh, part of. I had purchased this film on. Um, on iTunes a couple of years back, we were traveling and I wanted to watch it um, at Christmas time. And so I got the iTunes version and it comes with both the black and white and the, the colorized version, but I've, I've never watched the colorized one. I'll have to do that one of these, one of these years. I think now you can actually on Amazon Prime, both, both are on 
uh, Amazon Prime, so you can do both. Um, my mother loved old black and white movies, and I never watched this until uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, okay. she, had, she had passed on, but I woke up in the morning uh, smelling her cigarettes and uh, felt like she really wanted me to go downstairs and put the fire oh, okay. on and watch this black and white Christmas movie with her. And so right. um, it's pretty funny because now I feel like I'm sort of cheating on my mom if I watch the color version, but the color oh, version okay. is actually really beautiful. <laughs> oh, okay. Now, see, it's funny because when we, uh, uh, when my wife and I turned this on over the, the weekend to watch it kind of just to, you know, remember everything that was going on in this one um we saw that the colorized version was on there on the itunes copy that we'd bought and she said why would you want to watch this in color so that yeah. so that's interesting that, that you prefer the colors so like i said we'll have to check that out one of these years so yeah no i definitely i've watched the color one because of course now my son is you know five and so right. he doesn't want to watch anything in uh black and white so i sure. prefer the black and white but um the color one is really beautiful um, okay and, and it's interesting because, you know, put color in, in yourself, right? And so right, sure. like yeah, yeah. later in the scenes, you're like, oh, I had no idea that was, that's a pink dress. Wow, I didn't pick, think that that's how that was going to go down, you know? Right. Just kind of an interesting, interesting flair there. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so the, the movie gets started on, you know, kind of the book going over the credits. It's playing uh, the song Buffalo Gal uh, in the background. And that song's going to kind of keep cropping up throughout the movie, so. Um, but yeah, it gets, you know, kind of introduced to the cast and crew, um, the movie title, and then it goes and um, shows you right where you are. It shows the town sign for uh, Bedford Falls. It says you're now in Bedford Falls, um, which is based on a real town um, in upstate New York in the Finger Lakes area, um, Seneca Falls, um, which I've actually been through a couple of times. Uh, my wife and I lived up in Rochester, so we made the drive through through there, through the Finger Lakes region. I never did went for any of the it's a wonderful life stuff, but yeah, so it's based on a, a real town. So if you're ever up there, it's a really beautiful area up there. So, but so it, you know, introduces you to the, to the town and you just hear, you know, all of these different uh, voices, you know, um, I think it starts with a little girl and then just a couple of different people and they're all saying a prayer for George Bailey and, you know, it kind of pans up, you know, from, from the town up into and get a glimpse of, uh, of space. You see the stars and uh, the heavens up there. And that's, uh, when we're introduced to the angels and um, and our personal uh, guardian angel, Clarence. Uh, Clarence is a clockmaker. He hasn't gotten his wings yet, um, but he's been reading Tom Sawyer. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, telling him what he needs to do, giving him some good insight because he, he wants to get those wings, so. That's right. And they, uh, it, it, I love the visual of what kind of heaven looks like because there are these, even in the black and white version, you see these kind of twinkles of these things that look like universes Mm -hmm. and then like a little star that's supposed to be Clarence. And they say, hey, you know, we need your help. Um, there's someone on earth that, that a bunch of people are asking for help for. Right. And he's, you know, the thing about Clarence is he might not be the best, um, you know, flashiest angel, but he's got a lot of faith. He's got the faith of a child is what they say. And so mm -hmm. they're really hoping that he can help this man on earth, George Bailey, and if he does that, then he can get his wings, which would make him really excited because he's something like 292 years old. And I don't know how old that is for angels, but I guess he's a little long in the tooth for not having earned his wings. That, that's right. Yeah, he, he needs to, you know, prove to the other angels he's uh, he's in it up there, you know, going to going to do his best. So, right. yeah, but, you know, they tell him, you know, he needs to go down and check on George and 
give him a hand, but before he goes, uh, he needs to hear the story. So that's kind of how, how our story gets started. And it's going to start in 1919 um, when George is 12. Um, and he's sledding with some of his friends. Uh, they're sledding down on uh, just an old snow shovel uh, down this hill and onto this frozen pond. It's, it's you know, it's pretty dangerous, but the, the kids are doing it. So it was 1919, man. That's yeah, that's how you do, especially, in, you know, in upstate New York. It's a lot of snow up there. So you always have the snow shovel with you. But uh, so George goes down, a couple of his friends go down and then uh, Harry, George's younger brother, he's going to go down. I think he's uh, nine years old, maybe just a couple years behind George. Um, so he goes down, but unfortunately he slides a little bit further than the other boys, uh, gets to the thin part of the ice and uh, he's going to uh, fall through it, unfortunately. Yeah. And George runs uh, along with the other boys, runs to his rescue, but George dives right on in mm. uh, into the water and helps get him out. And they explain that Harry turns out to be just fine, but George catches a cold and yep. he recovers, but he does lose his hearing in his left ear. Yep. That's right. And that's uh that'll play kind of a part through the, through the film, you know, he's always, you know, saying, you know, I thought I misunderstood you, you said that into my bad ear, um, yeah. things like that. So, uh, but luckily, you know, George is going to, going to recover the illness is going to be too bad for him and kind of fast forward a little bit to their, uh, the boys are walking through town, you know, George is on his way to work at the Goward's pharmacy. And we're going to get our first look at the, uh, kind of the villain of the story. Um, old man Potter He's going through, through town on a, you know, pretty fancy carriage, um, you know, he's the richest, meanest man in the county, they say. He's in a carriage, though, which I thought was interesting at first, the first time mm -hmm. I saw it, because they're, I mean, it's 1919, there are vehicles, um, right. but he's in a carriage. And so it's very grand. Um, and he just looks, it's, he's played by Lionel Barrymore, right? And he's great. Um, and he's just so mean looking. <laughs> right, yeah. He does, he does a great job of just looking just like an, a nemesis and he really does play that beautifully yeah he uh he definitely gives off you know the vibes of those kind of you know turn of the century kind of tycoon uh sorts you see depicted in films right you know the, these guys that you know are just you know wealthier than you know you can even imagine and just kind of you know play by their own rules and you know own you know whatever it is they need to own to get going but so yeah so we see him riding through town in his carriage um you know looking pretty fancy there but George, you know, needs to get to work. So he gets to Goward's Pharmacy, which is where he, where he works. And he goes in and I, it's like a candle or something he pulls on, uh, you know, wishes for a million dollars. So he's going to do that a couple of times in the, in the film, you know. Yeah, yeah. Pulls it, pulls it out and, you know, this, this candle lights, which I guess is, you know, just kind of wishing for, for a good luck and you know, start of George's wishing for things. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, and he's, he's, it's his after school job. So he's still pretty young. Um, I think it's shortly after his, he's kind of healed up, but his ear is still, um, I mean, he's, he's still he's deaf. And right. he goes, um, a little girl sitting at the bar mm -hmm. um, yep. of the soda fountain, right? And it's this really cool, old fashioned looking drugstore. And so he's going to make her uh, an ice cream sundae. And they talk about coconuts. Do they want chocolate and coconut in the ice cream sundae? And it really brings out this really great conversation about how George wants to uh, go where there are coconuts. Um, he wants to be an explorer. You know, he really want he can't wait to get out of this kind of town and he's going to grow up and do these, do these really big things and lead this really big life. And the little girl, her name is Mary. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. He kind of whispers into his uh, bad ear so he can't hear that she's in love with him. And it's really just a sweet, kind of a sweet moment because um, he's clueless. Um, as right. as yep. I think most 12 year old boys kind of <laughs> are about that stuff at That's that right. point. He's thinking about going to Tahiti and she's like, I love you. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so she ends up leaving um, or sitting there eating her chocolate with coconut kind of Sunday. And he, mm-hmm. uh, George goes into the back for, to see Mr. Goward. And Mr. Goward is the pharmacist. He does not look well. He No, looks- he's, he's all, all out of sorts. And we find out why, because um, by the cash register, I think it is, there's a telegram uh, there that Mr. Goward's gotten from, you know, the, the war department or whoever, but, you know, telling him on, you know, Sad news that his uh, son had, uh, you know, fallen in World War One. So, um, so yeah. So he gets back. You know, Mr. Goward. You know, definitely kind of out of it. You know, very, very disheveled. You know, obviously. But George sees that. You know, Mr. Goward's. You know, you know, kind of mixed up the medicine for um, this. You know, one of his customers that he's asking George to deliver, and George doesn't know what what to do. Right. So, you know, Mr. Goward tells him to deliver this stuff. You know, he doesn't doesn't really want to. You know confront Mr. Gower doesn't know what to do. So he goes to try to see his dad, you know, to tell him that something's wrong. So, uh, so he's going to go over to the the building and loan that his dad works at and we meet his uh, uncle Billy. Um, we get to find out right away how forgetful he is. You know, he's, he's missing a phone call. He's got strings tied on his fingers to help remind him of things. Um, you know, he's, he's all, all kind of a mess, but they're, they're trying to, you know, you know, telling George, your dad's in an important meeting and things, but you know, he's still trying to get in and, and see him that's when Mr. Potter comes out and we get, you know, kind of the idea that Mr. Potter's gunned for this, you know, building and loan shop. So. Right. And so it's a building and loan. So it's not a bank. So, right. It's mm-hmm. important that you, you know, as, as a watcher, you understand there's a difference. So this is more like kind of like a credit union where everybody that's a member um, they put money in and it's like a bank in that it will keep your money and you can come get it, but you can't there there are different rules and it is not so um mr potter who's the big bad you know lionel barrymore in this big chair um he really doesn't like anybody to not go through the bank because he basically has all the financial backing in town and he doesn't want anybody to do better than him or even get an inch uh, uh you know when he can when he can take it he's just a bad guy and so he, he sees as a child in this scene george does with between his dad and mr potter and george you know kind of tells off <laughs> mr potter as a 12 yep. year old and um of course it embarrasses his dad but he you know he understands but he kind of shushes him and shoes him out of this meeting and he's like dad i, I really got to talk to you about this because mm-hmm. he does feel like this, this if he gives this medicine to this person, I think it's a child who's not well. Um, right, and, yep. it, and it ends up being poison. It's like, <laughs> it's, a, it's poison that he's put into these powder capsules instead mm-hmm. of the real medicine. And so, so he just feels, George is really out of options after this, right? Because he can't talk to his dad, his, his uncle, you know. Is, uh, his his uncle's no help. His, uh, yeah, the uncle ends up being no help throughout this entire film, poor guy. <laughs> um, but uh, so George has to go back and actually talk to Mr. Goward. And so he does. And it's, it's, it's honestly, for me, it's the hardest scene. Because okay, yep. um, I cry every time I see it. 
um, they do a really good job because Mr. Goward is obviously really upset that he didn't go. And he's like, there is a boy and he is sick and you're not helping him. Right. And he starts kind of, Mr. Goward starts kind of smacking George around yep. and he ends up hitting his ear and you can see kind of, even in the black and white version, you can black see his white, ears yep. start to bleed. And he's like, please, you're hurting my ear. And he's like, I know you didn't mean to do it, but you, you messed up his pills. You messed up his pills. And it's so heartbreaking because Mr. Goward realizes Mm-hmm. Um, and then he hugs him and you know kind of crushes him to him and he's like I'm so sorry I'm so sorry and George says I will never tell anybody this was it was just a mistake I'll never tell anybody um, it's okay Mr. Gower and it was just really um, I don't know what it is about this film there's a lot of people crushing other people to their chest when, <laughs> right. yep. you know, when they realize that they've they've made a mistake um, but right. oh it's that scene just gets me every time. Yeah, it, it's a tough one, but I mean, it you know, it it kind of goes to show, and it's gonna, you know, come back kind of full circle in the in the end, um, and even here, you know, shortly kind of into the next scene, but you know, really just kind of the impact that George throughout his whole life is having on you know these different townspeople, um, sure. and things you know things that he's not necessarily putting together himself, but everyone else is. Right. So so you know the incident with. Uh, with Goward, you know, kind of saves the day there. And it's going to fast forward to George, you know, just, uh, just graduating from high school. Um, and he's, uh, he's out shopping for, uh, for a suitcase, you know, he's getting ready to travel the world. He's looking for a suitcase. You know, the, the clerk, you know, pulls one up and, you know, George says, you know, that one's not big enough. You, you know, want something, something bigger. So, you know, the clerk there at the shop says, well, how about this one? You know, and George says, it's great. And then he turns it over and sees that his name's um, already, you know, kind of engraved onto it because Mr. Goward had, had bought him that for for his uh, graduation present to yeah. help him get out and see the world. So, yeah, for sure. And it's worth noting that even though his father, um, you know, was the kind of the leading executive at the the building and loan, mm-hmm. they didn't save a lot of money. So, you know, the idea is that George is going to go on this trip for a couple of months, see the world, and then he's going to go to college. Yep. And everybody in the entire town knows that that's George's dream. I mean, it, this scene really speaks to it because obviously Mr. Goward knew that he was going to go on this trip and his brother and all of his friends you see later, they're all really excited for him to be able to do this thing that he's been talking about doing since he was a very young child. Right, right. Yeah, so, um, but unfortunately, George doesn't get to take his trip. Um you know, his dad's not, not doing great. So he has to put off his trip and um, decides to stay there and kind of help out at the building and loan. Um, we're going to, you know, jump ahead just a little bit more again, you know, a couple years later and they're having dinner at the house, you know, you know, dad's still, dad's still sick, but you know, Harry's getting ready to graduate. So George has missed out now on his travel. He's missed out on going to college and they're, they're just sitting there and, you know, you can, you can kind of see his dad's, you know, you know, telling him, you know, maybe you should just take over the building and loan, but George, you know, still doesn't, he doesn't want to take over it. He's, he's ready to, ready to move on. He wants, he's, he's stayed to help out, you know, to kind of get him through this time, but he's, he's ready to go. He's ready to get out of Bedford Falls. Yeah. It's a really, that's a tough scene too, because his dad knows that that's not what he wants. Mm. Um, but he says, you know, would you stay, you know, and he's like, oh no, dad, I, I gotta go. But the dad, you can tell in that scene, um, he doesn't really look well. Right. <laughs> you know, he's kind of staring off into the distance. You know, it's his, it's um, 
George tells his father, he says, you know, want to hear a shock? I think you're, I think you're the best, you know, and mm. I guess they're not, uh, you know, I guess they were manly men. Stiff up right, sure. They didn't really tell each other how they felt very often. So it was, it was a really beautiful scene, but you can tell that it's not, that his dad's not doing so great. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they, he goes to Harry's um, graduation party because Harry's graduating from high school. Yep. At that point. And he ends up uh, meeting Mary again. And it's the same Mary that we meet from, you know, we see from the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. And yep. they have this really cool dance party, which I love because it's a Charleston contest and I love the Charleston. So um, they're in this big gymnasium and I've never seen anything like this before. I thought it was so cool because it's a real thing. It's yeah, it's a, not just make this on a soundstage, but right. it's a gym that has a pool underneath it. And yeah, so, it's a it's a real school, like in Los Angeles or something. I think. Yeah, yeah, and so they with like you have a key and you press a button and the 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 the, the, the floor of the gym will open up and there's a pool underneath mm-hmm. and yep. so um we see a cameo actually from freddie othello who if you watch the little rat the original little rascals he was alfalfa oh, he's okay. in there and he really likes mary too so when harry and Ma- sorry when george and mary are dancing in the charleston contest he decides he's gonna you know play a prank and open the floor of the dance floor so that they will you know get swallowed up and go into the pool which is very unsafe and totally nobody (laughs) should ever do that but it's pretty funny in the movie um because they're dancing and they're doing really well as a person who has taught charleston i i was pretty impressed um, yep. uh, and they think they're uh, doing really well because everyone has noticed that the floor has opened. Yeah, but, every yeah, everyone's uh, kind of standing around watching them watching them go, and every they get closer and closer to the edge, and they're all everyone's like, "Whoa!" You know, it's this, it's this build up, you know, but no one tells them to stop. They just nope. you know, they're still still cheering them on, you know, and just doing that. But yeah, so um, George is like, "Oh, we must be doing great!" <laughs> right, <laughs> so paying attention. To your dance floor that is number one guys pay attention to the space around you for goodness sakes but um they yeah, end but, up in the pool mm-hmm. yep but they <laughs> but it but it backfires it doesn't really embarrass george which was kind of the intent i think um because yep. all the all the other kids you know jump into the pool and and things yeah. you get the you get the principal i guess or whoever up there you know yelling at the kids telling them not to do it but but you know everyone's jumping in the pool having a good time um yeah. but you know then they're gonna have to you know change into some other clothes so george is in like a like a kind of a like a letterman's like sweater like kind of a, kind of a jersey kind of a thing and um <laughs> and you know and mary's just in a kind of a bathrobe right yeah she's in this and it, you can tell it's kind of dingy mm-hmm. um it it is not um it's but she looks so pretty <laughs> and they're walking home and they're singing that the song from the beginning right the buffalo yep. gal um yep. and uh Gosh, they, they they don't harmonize very well, but they just keep singing. They really like it. Um, they they're having a good time, and they stop by this really old house, and mm-hmm. it's got. I mean, it oh, it is the thing of nightmares. This 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 house. It looks like it's it hasn't been lived in in three hundred years. All right, the windows yeah. are gross, and they actually um, both of them decide they're going to throw a rock. Um, through mm-hmm. the window, yep. and if they if they throw a rock a rock through the window, they can make a wish. And he wishes, of course, to finally get out of 
um, Bedford Falls and go mm -hmm. do what he needs to do and, you know, go see the world. And then she uh, throws a rock as well. And she doesn't get to tell him what her wish was um, because no, they're- She's been a little, a little uh, cheeky about it. She won't tell him. And, and yeah. so that, and then George, you know, kind of one of the more, you know, romantic parts, you know, yes, or if she wants the moon, you know, he could throw a lasso up and bring it down and, you know, she could eat it. And then, you know, moonbeams would come out of her, out of her fingers and out of her hair. Yeah. And there, it looks like they're about to actually um, have a moment um, when um, a car drives up and the moment is cut short because George's father has had a stroke and mm -hmm. yep. um, he needs to go and um, see, you know, get to the hospital. And so yep. he does do that, but it um, becomes apparent in the next scene that George's father uh, does pass away. So it picks back up kind of in the in a board meeting there at the building and loan, uh, Mr. Potter's there, um, Uncle Billy and kind of the, you know, the other board members of the building and loan, you know, you know, they're talking about, you know, how unfortunately, you know, uh, George's father had passed away, um, you know, you know, Potter's trying to take it over, you know, George standing up to him and, and the board votes um, for George, you know, or for, you know, to not sell to Mr. Uh, Potter, but the only way they'll do that, they'll approve that is if George stays, you know, he has to stay and run the building and loan. They'll only uh, yep. not sell it to Potter if George, you know, sticks around and, and runs the operation. Which is totally emotional blackmail because he feels very uh, obligatory, right? To the memory of his father and of course his uncle, but he decides to do it. He gives his money to his brother mm -hmm. and, yep. um, and that's the thing. He's, he's, you know, he's worked there for four years so that his brother can, so he could save up the money and then it's time for him to go to school. He gives the money instead to Harry. Harry's gonna go to school for four years. And the plan is Harry will come back mm -hmm. and he will work at the building and loan. And then George will finally get to go to college and then he can go to um, you know, seek his fortune and travel the world. That's um, right, yeah. But when, but when Harry comes back though, um, that's, we're gonna find out that's, you know, not what's going to happen because he gets back and he's married to, to, uh, you know, a girl named Ruth. Um, her dad's offered him a job, I think up in, up in Buffalo or something like that. Um, but you know, Harry to his credit, you know, he tells him, you know, he's, I, I didn't accept that job yet. You know, I'm here, I'm going to, I'm going to work for you, but you know, George is kind of, you know, in this position now where he can either, or he either gets to live his life or he can let his brother live his life. So he's, you know, he has to make that decision and he decides to, you know, let Harry, uh, go off and you know work and be with his wife and he'll he'll stay there so yeah so once again George is kind of down and he's you know he's not feeling real happy there's a party for Harry's return because he's finished school and mm -hmm. you know now he's married um apparently you could do you did that back in the day you got married without just, telling yeah, him. Just do it, you, yeah. you bring home a, you bring home a person um <laughs> and uh but George's mom uh, has a great conversation with George and mm -hmm. um, they're outside um, the house and you know the woman who played George's mom I'm gonna totally butcher her name because it's a it's a different spelling yeah but um, I think it's Beulah Bondi she yep. Beula, played, yeah that sounds right yep. does that sound right yep. um, she's actually played Jimmy Stewart's mom four or five times throughout her career so oh, okay. they have a really good um you know, father, son, or sorry, mother, son 
uh, kind of repertoire relationship. They've got this really good um, uh, connection that you can see. And he, she basically tells George, um, hey, you know, Mary is back in, you know, from school. Mm, and yep. she's been home for a couple of days and, you know, you should go pay her a visit um, because you just should. And they don't really talk about again it's it's saying without saying right they're they're not really into talking about their feelings in this in the show at all but right you could tell the mom's like she's the one um and it's interesting because there's this other girl that's kind of in and out of a couple of scenes her name is violet mm -hmm. and violet's like this really pretty um girl that every every guy wants she walks down the street and everybody look you know looks at and people almost have car accidents looking at her right right yep. um but but the mom knows Mary's the right one. And so um, he does. George kind of goes out and around and uh, he sees Violet on the way to Mary's, um, but he, he ends up showing up at Mary's house. And Mary is amazing. Her adult character, I think she's played by Donna Reed. Mm -hmm. She is, uh, you know, the angel on earth, in my opinion, of this whole uh, movie. Um, in this right, yep. Because she has been patiently waiting for George to kind of get his act together and decide what he wants to do. Right. And um, so, you know, she's there, she's put out this painting. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a painting where you had said, Brian, where, you know, when he had said to her, what do you want the moon? Uh, you know, if you want the moon, I'll lasso it for you. And it's yep. a really cool picture of George lassoing the moon. And she's playing the song that they sang from mm -hmm. Buffalo Gal. Um, so she's, and she's in this really beautiful dress. I mean, She's the, she's just totally ready. Right, um, yeah. And George is really kind of a dick. He's very yeah. grumpy. <laughs> he's yeah, he's he's not in a good mood about it. And I think I think, you know, it's it's just a combination of things. You know, his brother's gotten back and he's come to the realization that, you know, he's still not going to get his turn to leave. Um he did have the the run in with Violet out on the on the street and he kind of asked her to go off on this wild adventure with him. Um and she, you know, turned him down. Uh, which is surprising because you know she's always really like George and and it's kind of like at least the way I see it George is moving kind of in this direction and he knows he's moving in it and he doesn't really want to um, or he at least doesn't you know doesn't acknowledge the fact that this is the direction that is that his life's going you know kind of whether he wants it to or not and I think he's just kind of he gets to Mary's and he's like well I'm at Mary's this is where I'm supposed to be but I don't you know, I'm still, you know, kind of in, in denial about the way that this, this is the way that my life's going right now. So. Yeah, so they, they talk for a little bit. She's trying to placate him. And then, finally, I mean, finally, she just kind of has it. And she's like, do you need to leave? Do you want to leave? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to leave. And mm -hmm. then the phone yep. rings and her mom's upstairs and is like, oh, you're, you know, your, your, your friend Sam's calling you. And she's the, you know, Sam, I guess, is there, for, is, is George and Mary's friend. He's in New York um, mm -hmm. calling and he always really liked Mary as well, but Mary's right, yep. only had eyes for George. So they have this in, interesting conversation where it's, and it's the old phone, you mm -hmm. know, with the, <laughs> with the, yeah, with, with the separate earpiece and the, the separate, you know, separate microphone. So they have the, so it's like the first time that they're, they're having a conference call, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And they're trying having to talk into the mouthpiece together. Yep. Yeah, so they're and, they're kind of on this phone call. Yeah, just you know, really close to each other. You know, just kind of their faces are really close. The way they have the the earpiece there, and they're they're you know talking talking to Sam. You know, Sam's you know talking to George. You know, telling him about this. You know, 
business he's looking into getting started and things and you know telling him you know he's mrs mary because i think they were you know at school together before before mary got back but they have kind of this yeah it's really kind of a emotional thing so you have george kind of going from grumpy but he's kind of thrust into this position where he's you know and you know kind of close and intimate with with mary and it just kind of their love kind of overtakes um kind of that scene as we go through in this phone call with sam yeah i mean the first time i saw it i almost thought he was gonna hit her because he's so <laughs> he's so intense where he's, right. he's saying this is not what i want this is not what i want i want to i'm not gonna get married and she starts to cry um and he says this isn't what i want and then all of a sudden they're like all over each other it's yeah it's that's really beautiful i'm not trying to cheapen it in any way but it was very it's very intense it's very emotional a lot of crushing to the chest a lot of crushing yeah. a lot of you know uh, very 1940s kissing a lot of right yeah yeah a lot of yeah a lot of those love stories you know in the in the films from that area a lot of that you know grabbing by the shoulders and and shaking me you know this is what i want and, but you know <laughs> But it is so, yeah. So he says, you know, he he doesn't ever want to get married. He doesn't want to settle down. He wants to go off and have these grand adventures um, by himself. And the uh, screen wipes and Mary and George are coming out of the chapel, uh, get married. So get married. So and, apparently uh, that didn't go to George's George's plan either. But no, no. But uh, they're super excited because they're gonna go on this amazing honeymoon. They have two thousand dollars, which was a lot of money mm-hmm. uh, yep. back then. Like that was like a year's salary um for most people and so they have this kind of kitty that they're going to go on this awesome honeymoon um and they're in the cab and they're talking to uh, to the cab driver who they know i mean this town is very small so right george bailey knows everyone and mary also knows everyone i mean and everyone's you know knows them and so people were tons of people were at the wedding and then um as they're in the 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 line to try and get out of town to get to catch the train they notice Mm -hmm. that something is going on at the building and loan and george uh feels compelled to go see what's going on and uh of course mary says you know don't leave the cab don't get out of the cab and he says oh no i've got to go check and so it's you know it turns out to be a you know a run on the bank basically or a run on the building and loan yep um there's tons of people outside his own uncle missed <laughs> talk about forget forgetful <laughs> he missed the wedding um because he was in this uh in this commotion and i yep. uh, completely yep. forgot that he had a wedding to go to that day yeah there's a yeah a lot of commotion going on up there and it turns out that mr potter had bought the bank and he's you know calling on all the loans for the building and loans so everyone kind of in town that had had money kind of in this this co-op is there freaking out you know they think they're going to lose all of their money so um so george gets up there and i think this is probably one of the more more iconic scenes in the movie you know everyone's kind of yelling at him you know you know i need my money i need to get my money out of here and george is like we don't have any money um but in this time, you know, Mary's come up and she pulls out the uh, the wad of uh, cash there, the $2,000. And it's like, we have this. So, you know, he's trying to help, you know, kind of everyone get by, you know, just what, you know, what money do you need for this week until we can get the loans, you know, straightened out with the bank, um, you know, and you kind of get, you know, a nice, nice scene there. You know, I think, if, you know, the first guy, you know, he wants all of his money, but. but $242.50. Uh, but then That's the. Uh, but then the, uh, you know, the woman after him, you know, she she takes 20 and then the one after her, um, he asks her if 20 will be, you know, enough. And she says, you know, I can 
get by on 1750 you know he kind of you know reaches out and gives her a gives her a kiss you know just kind of you know thanking her to kind of take a one for the team helping out you know this small town and the small town business so yeah it's a really it's really neat that bank is uh something else too right because Mm -hmm. uh it's got a bunch of different back offices but um there's a crow right there there is a crow in the uh in the bank and loan i don't know or the building and loan i don't know if you know if all businesses had crows or um if all building and loans had crows um i think it's just probably uncle billy's crow because we'll find out later when we're at uncle billy's house that he has a a slew of other animals he has a little dog and i think a bird and there's a squirrel in his house so. take your pet to the savings yeah. or building and loan day okay yeah so I mean, I, that crow is pretty iconic because it's at the beginning when you know uh george is a kid and he goes in right he goes in yeah it's just it's just you know hanging out loose on the it's not in a bird cage or anything it's just on the counter just kind of hanging out so well some companies have a cat so that makes sense i guess the crow cat i mean that's you know. Yeah, that could be. Maybe he's a he's a carrier carrier crow. That was how they corresponded. Maybe so. Maybe maybe. But so George gets everything settled. Um, you know, at the building and loan. Um, Mary's left. You know, in this time, you know, it takes them takes them a while to get everyone their their money, and they're counting down. You know, the minutes. I think they finish out the day with with two dollars left in the bank. Oh my so they, gosh. And that's like the best because they, they, everybody who's been working at the bank, right, or at the same, at the, sorry, I keep calling it a bank, it's not a bank, at the building and loan, um, they've now blessed the $2, they've done like a, a, a pace around the building with it, they're going to put it in the safe, hope that it multiplies. <laughs> that's right. Um, like they're so out, knocked out that they've made it through the day and they still have money in the bank at all. Uh, or in the vault, in their vaults, that they they, they can live to to make it through the next, you know. Yeah, make it till tomorrow. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, because it's only you know, Mr. Potter. He you know he's just hoping that they would have given up and they were able to not. Um, yep. So that mm-hmm. was really cool. Um, but then of course, since it's closing time now, George is like, oh my gosh, I have to call my wife. Um, yeah. Still, t- is there still time to get the train? Um, but but the you know but the phone rings and I, the woman there I guess the receptionist or whatever for the building and loan um, picks it up and she says George Mrs Bailey's on the line he's like I don't want to talk to my mom right now I need to need to figure this out and she's like no Mrs Bailey and he's like oh okay that's right so it's Mary calling you know telling him to you know honeymoon's basically basically off but we have different different ideas so come to the Sycamore Hotel um, which is the uh, building that we were throwing rocks at just a little bit ago. And so, you know, George is confused. Why am I going to that, to that rundown place? But so he goes out and gets in the, gets in the taxi and heads over there. So. Yeah. And it's pouring rain. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cool thing. So the taxi man and the, the police officer, they're, they, yep. they, they're, they're throughout uh, this whole thing. Uh, Bert and Ernie. Bert and Ernie, right. Not to be confused with Sesame Street's Bert and Ernie. Apparently they were not named after them, um, but they're really good friends. And so, you know, um, I think it's Bert that's the cab driver. So he takes them up uh, to the Sycamore Hotel and mm-hmm. George is really confused. And they have been spending the last couple of hours putting up, um, first of all, trying to make <laughs> trying to make the house a little bit livable. <laughs> yeah. um, because there's, you know, holes in the roof and things, but also putting up all of these really cool posters so mm-hmm. it looks like um they are on some 
you know, island yeah. somewhere far away. Mm-hmm. And it's, to me, it, once again, Mary's just, you know, she's his angel on earth, right? Because when things are hitting the fan earlier in the day, she just doesn't skip a beat and says, here's the $2,000 for our honeymoon. And then yep. she worked really hard to try and create a space that was as, you know, far, you know, far and foreign and um, special for them. Like she's cooking a dinner on this rotisserie record yeah. player thing. Yeah, yeah <laughs> there's like a. I don't even think this. I don't even think this house has like heat or electricity. No, it's got. <laughs> there's like a rope, uh, rope tied around the uh, the record player spindle, and it's kind of you know rotisserieing this uh, I don't know chicken or whatever over the over the fire. Um, and I think the the taxi driver, you know, tells us tells George that this is you know welcome to the bridal suite or this is a bridal suite or something. It kind of opens opens the door and George goes in. He's just kind of you know taken aback by you know all this work Mary's Mary's done to kind of you know make up for this lost honeymoon. Um, and right. she tells him that you know this was her wish you know back from when you know throwing rocks at this building. So she, I yeah. guess she wished to one day you know end up in it with George. So it's just pretty beautiful, right? Oh, so good. That's um, right. So then you see they cut to a little bit of time uh, later and they're helping a family move into this new house um, Mm -hmm. in what they're calling Bailey Park. So it's really cool because the building and loan is helping a lot of people who used to live in these shacks in this kind of shanty town that um, Mr. Potter owned. Okay. Um, They call, I think they called it Pottersville or, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you would pay an incredible amount of rent and you'd live in this shack well you know they the building and loan were giving out loans to people that the bank would not um even think about wouldn't approve yeah but you know george bailey knows these people he trusts them and he knows that you know if if bad credit is not necessarily the what it what it actually is right so right sure you know, if you're a person of integrity, we can figure this out. And so he is helping um, Mr. Martini and his whole family move into this brand new house. And they're very cute little homes. Um, uh-huh. Yep. So like the, and Mary's really in on this as well. She gives them, you know, bread and wine, and they have kind of this ceremony of, you know, mm-hmm. they, they dedicate the house, and it's really, um, really cool because you can start to see just how impactful George has, has been it with, you know, by staying um, as a leader in the building. Right. Home, right. Yep. Not only mm-hmm. did people, you know, not have a problem, you know, getting, making a run on the bank and all of that, but he's really helping change people, you know, people's lives in a very real way. That's right. Yeah. And words getting back to Mr. Potter about this. I don't know. Um, just someone that works for Mr. Potter is kind of showing him, you know, a map saying, you know, all of these houses are, you know, in this, you know, you know, Bailey Park, you know, part of town, it's starting to encroach on the parts of town that you used to used to run and things. So, you know, Potter's starting to, you know, he's starting to see that, you know, the time is now to, to really make a move on this building and loan. He doesn't want George to kind of pick up any more steam on it. So um, he decides to call up George and, you know, call him in and, you know, he offers him a job. You know, he says, you know, I know, I know you don't really want to be working at the building and loan. This wasn't what you wanted to do. He's like, I can give you a job. I'm going to pay you a lot. I think he offers him uh, $20,000 a year, which um, was about, uh, it's about $280,000 a year now, which, you know, probably would have made George, you know, the, the wealthiest man, you know, next to, next to Mr. Potter in town. Um, and you, you can see George, you know, really, he really wants to, but 
you know, it turns them down, you know, it's not worth, not worth selling out to this guy who's basically been, you know, coming after his family for, for his whole life. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting because that scene, because he first says, well, I just want to think about it for a day. And then he goes to shake his hand. And that's when he realizes I'm, I'm basically shaking the hands with the devil here. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, and then, you know, of course, George, he just has the best, like, couple of line zingers, right? He just mm-hmm. has no problem with telling Mr. Potter where, where to go. Right. Um, and so he does. And, but he's feeling pretty down and he goes home um, into the house that, you know, now it has electricity, I think, and it has heat. Um, yep. And uh, it's still a little rough, but it's, yeah, but it, yeah, they're, oh, getting yeah, there. yeah, yeah. they're getting there. Yeah. But, uh, but at least it has, you know, there's, <laughs> <laughs> nothing's fallen on them when they right. are in the next scene they find out um well george finds out that mary's gonna have a baby and mm-hmm. uh super excited and super happy at that um it really it's a it's a cool scene and then it kind of goes into this and spirals into this over the next couple of years all these things happen they have a couple of kids um they're fixing the the granville house so while george is working really long hours trying to build out this Bailey Park and help people get houses and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, Mary has a couple of kids. She also, um, it, a war happens, so she's uh, managing the USO. She also spends time you know, decorating that house from top to bottom and fixing things. And mm-hmm. um, you know, Harry, uh, George's brother, he goes off to war. Um, I think George can't, right? He's 4F, I think that's what it's called. Um, yeah, I think because of his because of his ear, he was deaf, so he couldn't couldn't go. So yeah, but Harry um, becomes a hero because he ends up saving. Um, there was a kamikaze pilot that was going to um, kill this uh, crash into this transport, mm-hmm. yep. and Harry um, was able to destroy the airplane first. So Harry is now deemed this big hero, mm-hmm. and um, he is coming home. So yep. I think probably seven or eight years have passed since the first uh since the last scene where we find out mary's pregnant because now mm-hmm. i think they have four kids and so harry's coming home it's christmas eve um and that kind of brings us to the biggest problem <laughs> that's that's right yeah so so uncle billy who you know we've mentioned a couple of times you know being you know really flighty and kind of forgetful um he's he's off to off to the bank to make the deposit on you know on all the loans he has eight thousand dollars uh with him but while he's in there you know filling out his deposit slip mr potter comes in and you know billy decides that this is a good time he's going to go over to mr potter and kind of you know show him on the front page of the paper you know that uh um harry bailey you know war hero you know you never you've never been able to get one up on up on the baileys and things but um unfortunately uh and kind of billy's gloating he accidentally leaves the eight thousand dollars inside of this newspaper that uh, Mr. Potter was holding. So, so when Billy goes up to make the deposit. I think the teller says, uh, I think you're for, you know, you're forgetting the money part of the deposit. So, you know, so uncle Billy, you know, starts, you know, goes back out to where he's filling out the deposit slip, you know, back to his office, you know, his office is all torn apart. He's trying to figure out uh, where this money is. And that's kind of when George comes in and, you know, picks up on the fact that uh, they didn't make this deposit. Yeah. Uh, moral of the story, don't gloat. It's not nice. It's not becoming. <laughs> that's right certainly don't do it to someone like potter because potter saw that this happened right he mm-hmm. you know he gets he, he has the envelope for eight thousand dollars and of course yep. he doesn't get back and he knows exactly what it's for and so he's just sitting there kind of you know gloating himself um yep. 
because he knows that, I mean, $8,000 is a lot of money back in the day. Oh, so, sure. Um, I mean, it's a lot of money now. So it was, you know, George is really um, freaking out. And the bank examiner is actually at the building and loan. Mm-hmm. He keeps saying, you know, hey, I've got, we've got to finish out this kind of audit. I would like to get home for Christmas Eve. Right. Um, but, you know, George knows that if he looks at it, he's going to see we're, eight, you know, we're $8,000 short. He's mm-hmm. really unhappy. He yells at his uncle because he just, he's so frustrated um, because his poor uncle just his uncle Billy just does not know what where it ha- where when he doesn't remember right and he's like we're going to jail and I'm not going to jail and so he he ca- he goes home and the it's Christmas Eve so they're planning on having a big Christmas Eve party of course Mary looks amazing dinner is mm-hmm. uh, in the oven they're trimming a Christmas tree one of the kids is um, playing the piano one of them is you know writing out Christmas cards. Um, uh, and then there's little the little girl Zuzu. I, that's a very odd name. Um, mm-hmm. But yep. he's upstairs with a cold. And George just gets home. And rather than getting, you know, finding comfort and cheer in the fact that his kids all want to hug him and wish him Merry Christmas and right. get ready for the party, he just uh, kind of loses uh, his temper. And he goes upstairs to see Zuzu. And she's got this cute little flower and she's gotten sick because she went home without her coat. Um, mm-hmm. but, and so, you know, I, I think he's really got a soft spot for Zuzu. She might be his favorite kid, um, but he's got these, you know, he, she has this flower that she wants him to paste and make better because the flower petals are, mm-hmm. um, they're coming off. And so he takes the flower petals and he puts them in his pocket and you need to know that for later. So he, he, uh, he goes downstairs and he's really angry. He's just mad. He's so upset because he thinks he's going to go to jail that, you know, they're going to, they're going to lose something horrible is going to happen to the building and loan. And everyone is, you know, acting like it's, they're so cheerful and they're so happy because it's Christmas Eve. And so he completely has a meltdown and all the kids start to cry. And his wife is really disappointed in him and, um, that's that's right yeah so he you know he kind of he kind of takes it out on all the kids and then he takes it takes it out on you know mary you know telling her you know why do we have to live in this in this crummy house in this crummy town and you know do all this stuff and you know very woe is me um and then you just <laughs> you hear george just uh dialing up the phone he's calling the teacher going to give her a piece of his mind too um you know it decides it decides you know she she needs to uh she needs to hear about it you know sending sending zuzu home without a without a coat and so he's you know he's yelling at her poor teacher and then uh her husband you know gets on gets on the phone and you know you know don't talk to my wife this way and you know george isn't having it you know he's he's all upset he's kind of at his wits end so so he hangs up and and leaves he needs to needs to get out of the house he needs to figure this out so he's kind of going to do the only kind of the only thing that he has left to do and it's to to go see mr potter and ask him you know if he can help with you know delaying this this uh loan payment or you know I've given him some cash or, you know, whatever, but, you know, of course, Mr. Potter is not going to do that. He has no interest in, in helping out George Bailey and things. So, you know, what does he do? He says, well, I'm not going to help you. I'm going to call the police and tell them that you stole this $8,000. <laughs> of course. Oh, he's such a peach, that Potter guy. And, um, but they, they, it is interesting because the only thing that George does have, he's like, I've got a life insurance policy. And he's like, well, you're worth, you're worth more dead than you are alive. Right. Yep. And George really takes that to heart. You know, it's, so he leaves after 
Potter decides to call the police because now he's like, well, if I go home, the bank examiner and there's going to be, a, you know, and the cops are going to be at the door. Um, yep. And my wife probably with divorce papers because I've been such a jerk. Um, mm. So yep. he goes to Martini's. And if you remember Martini, uh, Mr. Martini was the gentleman who um, they helped buy uh, the house and they gave a loan to um, earlier. Mm -hmm. And so he's at this bar drinking. Um, there's a lot of people there for Christmas Eve. I mean, maybe a lot. I don't know. I don't know. It was definitely not COVID. <laughs> there are a lot of people. No. Yeah. But he is, um, George is drinking at this bar. He, you know, sees the, the teacher's husband um, <laughs> ends up being there too and mm -hmm. actually gives him a punch, which he totally deserved. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. He lays him out. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he's his lip is bleeding. He's you know he's like ah oh, man I got to get out of here. So he leaves the bar and then he ends up crashing into this really old tree. And this man comes out and starts berating him about this tree. It was my great grandfather's plant of this tree. And oldest like, oldest oh, tree in town or something. It's the oldest tree in town. And he's like I don't care about your tree. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of funny. Yeah. Um, but then he goes out onto this bridge and he is seriously thinking about and considering jumping off the bridge and, and going to his death. Um, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. He gets out onto the, out onto the bridge, you know, he's thinking um, back at Martini's, you know, he's kind of saying, saying a, a prayer and he says, God, I'm not, I'm not a praying man, but if you could show me the way, you know, what I, what I need to do to fix the situation. And that's, you know, when he gets hit and, you know, kind of storms off, drives off. Um, hits the tree and gets out onto the bridge and you know he's looking down at the water thinking well like you know Mr. Potter said I'm worth more more dead than alive I'd be better off you know the whole town would be better off if they didn't have me to worry about so you know he's he's thinking about you know jumping in but then he sees this big splash and uh, George jumps in anyway but you know not to not to end his life but to to save this uh, man that had just fallen into the river so yeah it wasn't just any man it was an That's angel right. second class it was an angel second class. That's right. Um, so we find out uh, his name is Clarence. So George gets him out and they go, uh, I guess it must be some sort of like a, like bridge uh, conductor like a or something. I don't know if it's, yeah. it's probably like a, like a lock bridge or something. Um, kind of an office there and they're there kind of warming up, getting their, getting their clothes dried off. And, you know, Clarence is, you know, talking about being an angel, the, uh, the bridge operators, you know, <laughs> thinks that he's nuts and it's going to, going to head out of there. He's talking about, you know, being an angel as2 which of course stands for angel second class mm -hmm. uh, but you know george is george is talking to him you know he doesn't believe that he's an angel but you know he's, yeah. he's telling him yeah. you know that every everyone would be better if you know i'd if i'd have killed myself everyone would be better if i just never had been born right and and so clarence is like well you don't you know don't say things like that you don't mean that and he says it again and you know clarence kind of looks up you know like he, like he's getting permission to to go ahead with the to go ahead with the plan and and so he does. So he said, okay, you've never been born. And then you see, then you see George, you know, he's not, not bleeding from his lip where he got punched. He can, he can hear out of his ear again. Yeah. Um, you know, just like nothing had ever happened. Their, their clothes are all dry. Yep. And he doesn't have any paperwork on him. So the life insurance policy he had is gone. His driver's license is gone. Even the pedals he got from his beloved daughter, Zuzu, they're all mm -hmm. gone because yep. Zuzu doesn't exist. <laughs> and, you know, um, his, you know, he, it really takes him a little while to figure out. It's not that he died. He was never born in the first place. So he goes out to try and find his car, uh, mm -hmm. again, really old, poor tree. And the car is gone and the tree doesn't have a mark on it. He mm -hmm. 
starts walking through town and it's it's not called Manford Falls anymore. It's called Pottersville. And it's this really very different town. There's a lot of gambling. There's a lot of bars. Very, mm-hmm. like, yeah, nightclubs and you know, kind of. Bar. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's um, a lot of pawn shops. Like, you know, the, the building and loan is gone. That's um, right. Yeah. And- Gowards is gone. There's nothing. There's nothing that looks like this town. It it's very foreign to him. Yeah, and George, you know, doesn't doesn't have any sort of idea. You know, what's going on? You know, Clarence is trying to tell him. You know, I told you, you've never been born, but he's he's not believing it, and he says, you know, he needs a drink. So he goes over to Martinis, but it's not Martinis anymore. Um, yeah. It's it's a different bar. He goes in. You know, it's still just as crowded, but you know, it's not kind of this you know, upbeat, happy kind of a bar. It's, you know, more of like a, a dive bar kind of a place, but. Very dodgy. That's my so, thing say. Very dodgy. That's right. He goes in, um, George orders himself uh, a double bourbon and comes to Clarence's turn to order. And he was, you know, I have to think about it. You know, he hadn't had a drink in, you know, a couple hundred years. So, um, so he decides he's going to order a flaming rum punch, which was the inspiration for, for us drinking one of those today. So, uh, so, so he orders that. Uh, they serve drinks that for men who want to get drunk fast and they're right. uh, really it's, it's it's nick i think the guy who uh runs mm-hmm. the bar now and it's interesting because george knows all of these people like the people are you know there's a lot of people that are still there that he knows mm-hmm. and they're like well, how do you know my name and he's like i've known you my whole life and they're like we don't know who you are um, right. but they really um don't treat clarence very well because he just is acting a little funny Yep. And uh, so they're, they're like, you need to leave. You won't order like a real drink. <laughs> so that's, um, that's right. And um, while they're, while they're in there, while they're, you know, kind of getting their drink, Mr. Gowards comes in and they're all, you know, yelling at him to get out because Mr. Gowards was uh, homeless after spending some time in prison because he'd poisoned that little kid all those years ago um, because George wasn't there to uh, stop him. And so it, that's a really, that's a very sad scene. Um because the poor guy is completely defeated. Um, and, you know, but I think it's then that George really starts to understand that mm-hmm. this, is, this is what happened when you're not there, right? Um, yep. So he, he says, well, I, I just want to go home. I want to go home and see Mary. And you know that, you know, that that's not going to go well. <laughs> no. So he does go home and that house is not there anymore. Um, well, it's still there, but that house is not his home anymore. It's still right. that rundown house yep. and there's a really comical moment because Bert and Ernie are, 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 are back um, mm-hmm. Ernie's the policeman I think and Bert is the cab driver and he's trying to tell them that this is his house and why does it still look like this and they sat you know they were there on his you know the night of his wedding and um, mm-hmm. yep. they you know they took him there for his honeymoon and they're like we do not know you we don't know anything about you but we're going to arrest you and then you know Clarence is thank goodness he's an angel because he keeps screaming up to to Peter and to Joseph to help him to help him yeah that's right <laughs> and so they kind of grab him and try to arrest him but Clarence would disappear it's really pretty comical which you need because it you know it's this is very sad for George you know he he can't no one knows who he is and so he wants to go see his mom, I think. And mm-hmm. then yep. so he goes to the house and he used to lovingly call um, call it the Bailey, the Bailey boarding house, right? Yep. Um, when he was young, but it really is a boarding house now. And mm-hmm. the his mother answers the door, but she won't let him in. Um, right, yep. She doesn't know who he is, yeah. And, um, you know, she 
asks, you know, where, you know, if he knows her and he knows, you know, of her, then whatever happened, what happened to Billy? And mm -hmm. he says, oh, I saw Billy, you know, yesterday. And she tells him that Billy, Uncle Billy um, died, or no, sorry, he didn't die. He's in an asylum, which is probably just as right. bad. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. After the building and loan collapsed, right? So yep. the, it had to close down and he is now in an asylum. In and asylum. so yep. George is just really, it, it's, it just gets from bad to worse, right? Like nothing, nothing's right. The town's horrible. His own mother doesn't know who he is. His uncle is in an asylum and he he's trying to find Mary. Well, he ends up like bumping into her, I think. Yeah, he's walking back through town and he sees her kind of coming out of the library, locking up there on uh, on Christmas Eve and coming out. And she has, you know, kind of her hair is pinned up and she's wearing wearing glasses and, and things, you know, as, you know, definitely not as, you know, vibrant and lively as she was when George was living his life, you know, but she's uh, working at this library and she, she never got married. I think someone tells him um, and things. So she just, you know, lived her whole life, life alone. And then, and George has one last stop to make and he's, he goes by the cemetery and he sees Harry's tombstone there. And it shows that he, um, his brother, Harry had died in 1919. Um, and he looks at Clarence and Clarence says, you weren't there to save him. So it's, so it's finally kind of all of these pieces have come together and George's like, oh, okay. So you know, this is bad if I, I was never born, you know, every, everything goes completely wrong if I'm not here. Yeah. Cause it's so. not, just, it's not just Harry that dies. Right. Because Harry um, saved this transport full of oh, life. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. People. So all of them died because Harry wasn't there to save them and George wasn't there to save Harry. So it's, you know, uh, you know, as a mom that really hit me. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, all the kids, you know, that young right. boy, now yep. you know they're now alive and they wouldn't have been before it really is very emotional yeah that's right so so it's kind of it's all sort of sunk in for george but so he's gonna kind of storm back through town he's you know he's going to go back to that bridge you know where he was you know thinking about ending his ending his own life and reaching out and saying that you know i i want to i want to live i don't want to i don't want to die i've seen you know the way that this is very very much kind of been in the same vein as like a christmas carol um, saying, you know, I need to need to change my ways and, and understand I want to live. I want to be there for people. Um, and just then it kind of, you know, kind of starts to snow. Um, Clarence is nowhere to be found. Um, and then that's when Bert pulls up and he says something to Bert and Bert's like, what are you talking about, <laughs> George? You know, it's, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't know what's going on, you know, and, and he knows George and, and George is like, lips bleeding. oh, wait, you know, it's, yeah, okay? lips, lips bleeding. And um, George is, you know, he's so excited, you know, it, you know, his uh, prayers were answered and uh, Clarence's job was done. So he's running back, back through town, you know, yelling Merry Christmas at everything. Merry Christmas movie house, which is kind of a classic line. My, one of my favorite lines from, from the show, he says, you know, Merry Christmas to uh, Mr. Potter through his office window and things. Mr. You know, Potter Mary, thinks he's completely lost his mind. You know, think, you know, says all you, you beautiful bank and loan. I think he says he's running yeah, through there yeah. and things, but he, he finally gets back to back to the house and he gets there and and the kids are there but um mary's not there mary's um, not but there. but he's in kind of the feds are there <laughs> the feds are there that's right the the kids are there he goes goes in and checks on the kids and then the the uh, banking feds and the police are there just and, like he thought and he uh he's he's very um he's giddy like a kid because he's like oh uh, you know i'm gonna go to jail you got a warrant for my arrest isn't that great <laughs> right yep fun. yeah he's, he's just great. he's just so excited you know to to be alive and for 
the you know people to recognize them and things again for yeah yeah kind of for that stretch to be over so the kids are so happy he's just really excited and then mary comes home and she opens the two kind of big doors and she says come on uncle billy and um and in comes uncle billy with this kind of laundry basket for mm-hmm. cat. that's right yeah move out all the christmas presents and stuff off of the big table and he dumps it out and he explains um, as people are starting to trickle through into the house, he says, you know, Mary went out and she um, told everybody that you needed help um, mm-hmm. because the bank examiner has come in and Uncle Billy has probably now at this point told Mary. So she goes out and rallies kind of the town and everybody uh, starts showing up and they start showing up with cash. That's right. Yeah. They're all they're all kind of, you know, coming in, lined up and, you know, all of these all these townspeople you've met through the through the film are you know kind of there you know turning over their their uh money you know happy to help george in this time of need he gets um a telegram from their old friend sam who'd went off to new york city and started his uh, plastics company but uh, had uh, sent a telegram and said that he the company approved to give him up to i think it was like fifty thousand dollars you know any anything that george bailey needed he was gonna gonna do for it um you know and just it, the family and the whole town so excited they're all packed into this the small kind of entry room on on the house yeah. and then and then last to show up is his brother harry they'd flown in all night after he'd gotten the uh the medal of honor um but he had to get in to to see his brother and harry is there to uh kind of wish him you know kind of this this final toast kind of the sentiments from the whole whole town and it's you know uh, really touching he kind of raises his glass and he says to my big brother george the richest man in town which is really beautiful because he certainly didn't feel very rich until that night, right? That's right, yeah. Um, and it it really is a very heartwarming scene. So many people show up. I mean, the the total jerk who during the bank, the run on the bank, he was like, I want all $242.50. He's mm-hmm. there to give him yep. some money. Um, women, you know, Mr. Martini is there. He's like, I wouldn't have my house without you, George. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Or throwing, you know, at, you know, dollars and quarters and stuff and as they're kind of sifting through because they got to count the cash um that's right like the, the cops are there you know the police man who had the warrant for the arrest kind of tears it up and i'm gonna say I, I think um the bank examiner even uh, gives them some money he's so moved <laughs> moved by all of this so. yeah um but as they're starting to count the cash to figure out how much money they've been able to collect um you know uh mary sees uh, there's a book um, it is a copy of Tom Sawyer, and um, there's a really lovely inscription from Clarence in it, and it says, remember that no man is a failure who has friends, and at that point, all the kids are kind of hugging on around them, and there's a tree nearby, and Zuzu um, sa- you know, says, hey, daddy, I hear a bell, and there's a bell on the tree mm-hmm. um, that's ringing, and he says, you know, my teacher says that every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings, and to which George says, uh, attaboy, Clarence. That's right. That's right. And so it's, it's really, it ends really lovely. Um, it's kind of got this montage and then the, the, the credits, you know, the, the song rolls again. And, um, and that's, that's how it ends. It's very heartwarming for sure. That's right. Yeah. It kind of, it kind of turns around. Um, you know, they're, they're right at the end. You get kind of this whole, whole film about George Bailey, you know, being kind of unsatisfied, uh, with his life, but it's, it's really a situation of, you know, being able to see the forest through the trees. I think, you know, you, you, he can only see, 
you know, kind of the things that are right in front of him and, and what's right in front of him is this desire to, to travel. I think he wants to, you know, go to school and be like an architect or an engineer or something, you know, kind of the, kind of the big plan. So he doesn't really see the, the effect and the love and, you know, kind of this, you know, this big family of a, of a town and all of the influence and impact he's had on everyone's life. So I think it's, it's just kind of a, a really great story and a good reminder to, you know, be, you know, be mindful of, you know, your relationships and things. And um, you're making more of an impact on people than you ever will be able to realize. So he had kind of the fortune to, to be able to see, you know, exactly what sort of impact he had on people. Sure. And this is your favorite Christmas movie, right, Brian? Yeah, so this is this is my favorite uh, Christmas movie, and it's just one of my favorite movies in general. So um, I'm sure that I probably had seen bits and pieces of it growing up. I mean, because it's, you know, it's on TV every year. So I'm sure that I saw it, but, you know, it's it's in black and white. It's slow moving. Uh, Jimmy Stewart has kind of this, you know, this big voice and, you know, kind of personality and things. So I, I see you know kids not being super into it so I really kind of fell into it um in college I was taking a film class and this came up and so I watched it and I think that it's really impactful kind of just at that point um of people's lives you know um you know kind of in your you know late teens early 20s and you know you're kind of at your own crossroads so you see a lot of parallels kind of with with George Bailey so it really just kind of hit for me so yeah it's definitely definitely one of my favorites definitely my favorite Christmas movie so and uh, you were telling me something I didn't I didn't know that this was actually based on like a like a short uh, Christmas card story. Yeah, so it, it's based on a story called The Greatest Gift by Philip Van Dorn Stern. Mm-hmm. So he's credited, I think, as a um, uh, he's credited with not writing it because Frank Capra wrote it with a with another couple. But uh-huh. um, he Philip Van Dorn Stern was trying to get um, someone to pick this up either as a film or, or, or as a play or something. And mm-hmm. he, um, he actually sent it out as a 21 page Christmas card. Um, okay. to all of his family and friends. And it ended up getting read by a producer um, who, who ended up optioning it and making a movie out of it. Um, and by um, box office standards, it didn't make a lot of money really at that time had kind of disappeared into, you know, the ether, the movie ether for a long time until its copyright lapsed in 1994. Right. And so, you know, what that means for anybody who doesn't know is that that means anybody can actually um, put it on, anybody can play it. So movie theaters can show mm-hmm. it, you know, television companies can show it. And so people started to because it was it's it's not a short movie it's it's over two hours long so it's right, a really, yep. free, it's a really good way to get free um, free time free airtime and so it started to really show up in the in the mid early mid eighties it was around yeah once once kind of everyone started having you know TVs you know in every house and things and it would start playing you know at Christmas time so it went from not even really being envisioned by Frank Capra as a Christmas movie to being you know this this uh timeless Christmas classic yeah yeah and I mean I didn't watch it as a kid my I mean my family did my mom my sure. mom certainly did every mm-hmm. year that this was her film in black and white because that's how she that's how she rolled but I really I didn't see it until about three years ago um when mm-hmm. I had my, my ghost experience with my with my mom right. um but I, I make a point to do it every year. She visited me um, this year already, and uh, we sat down 
uh, with a with a, well, some warm punch, <laughs> and uh, uh, it I I really like it, and I think that if you watch it, you know, you know more than once you're get it's mm-hmm. one of those things where every time i've seen it because i've only seen it a few times now um right. pick something else up that they've sure. done it's really well written um you know it's well acted but the the connections are there that mm-hmm. i did not pick up before and so i i i no- definitely understand why it won you know why it won the oscar nominations that it did mm-hmm. um you know i it, it's really a very special film and it happens to be taking place at Christmas but it's it's really Christmas isn't the focal point which I also think is good because that can get you can get a little Christmas fatigue right <laughs> sure Christmas time, you know yep yeah it's it's reminding it does a good job of reminding us as we watch it as a Christmas film you know that it's that you know Christmas and the spirit and you know the love is you know, kind of a, a whole year thing, a whole life thing. It's not, you know, just, just the one day, you know, just, just Christmas, you know, with, with Santa Claus and the presents and things. It's, it's kind of the, the imprint you leave on, on your small piece of the world through, through your whole life. Yeah. So, well, at home, um, do you watch It's a Wonderful Life? Um, is that one you uh, get into every year or have you never watched it or, you know, let us know what you think. Do you watch, do you watch the colorized version for some reason, or do you watch the black and white one like you should? Um, you know, let us know, you know, reach out to us on our social medias. You can, uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. It's at drink the movies and on Facebook. Um, it's just uh, facebook.com slash drink the movies. You can find us on there. So, you know, drop us a line, let us know what you think about it's a wonderful life. Um, you know, if you have any good memories of it growing up, um, we'd love to hear about it. And uh, Michaela, why don't you tell people where they can uh, find our podcast? Absolutely. You can find us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere anchor podcasts are distributed. We'd appreciate it if you subscribed and if you like what you're hearing, leave a five-star review. It really helps get the drink the movies out there. That's right. Absolutely. And if you kind of for some more information and see some pictures and video, uh, Flaming Rum Punch recipe, you're going to want to go to www.drinkthemovies.com. Uh, we'll get uh, the video up there of us kind of making that, um, the recipe, so you can check that out. And if you make a Flaming Rum Punch, you know, for you know, you and your family, or if you just want to, you know, scale the recipe down and just make one for yourself, we'd love to hear about that or see pictures of it. So make sure you tag us um, in there in your pictures. So Absolutely. All right. Well, I think the, uh, the punch bowl has uh, run dry on these Christmas movies uh, for us this year, Michaela. Um, want to definitely thank everyone who's listened, you know, to these first four episodes of ours kind of running through some Christmas movies. Uh, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, happy holidays to everyone, uh, no matter what you celebrate out there. Um, you know, be safe, uh, be careful, you know, be with the ones you love as, as safely as you can this year. We will be back next week with the kind of a 2020 recap. So keep an eye on all of our stuff. We're going to be doing some, uh, some fan questions and things and talking a little bit about that as we celebrate New Year's and get out of 2020. What do you say? I think that that is the best thing ever. Let's just get out of the year. That's right. Yeah. So we're, so we're going to go out on a bank. So, um, so thanks for joining us look for that next week. And we will uh, see everyone next time on Drink the Movies.